0: The next two uh, chapters in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, are all about giving. They are about offerings. They are about stewardship. And so that is what we're going to be focusing on together for the next number of weeks. And to what end? Let me put it this way. It is my desire and hope and prayer that the Holy Spirit, through the Word, will revolutionize your attitude toward financial stewardship, toward giving, toward the Sunday morning offerings, toward special ministry projects that call for additional funds. That's where it starts. But beyond that, it is my desire and my hope and my prayer that in the broadest way possible, your whole relationship with money and material possessions will be wonderfully transformed. But I go even beyond that. My desire and my hope and my prayer is that you will be renewed in a gospel-centered, cross focused grace-motivated spirit of abounding Generosity. Abounding generosity of your money, of your time, of your talents, of your gifts, of your expertise, of your whole life from one end to the other. Before we launch into our specific text this morning, let me set the stage for you. The story begins with the Christian congregation in the city of Jerusalem and surrounding congregations in the whole area of Judea. As you well know from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 to be particular, the Holy Spirit gave birth to the first Christian congregation on the day of Pentecost. There in the city of Jerusalem, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Christian church, uh, if we can assign a birthday to it, was born on that day. And the church grew rapidly, 120 members of the church as that Pentecost Sunday began, but very rapidly growing into thousands upon thousands of Christians, thousands of members. And what a ministry that Jerusalem church had. And the other churches in the whole region of Judea, it was from that mother church in Jerusalem that the apostles went forth. It was from that church that the earliest evangelists, The earliest missionaries went forth to spread the gospel, the message of salvation and new life and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit was at work in some mighty ways. Just read the opening chapters of the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit was at work, ironically, in the midst of great difficulty from a human standpoint, in the midst of very severe and growing persecution in Judea and in the city of Jerusalem. And that persecution was taking its toll on the Christians there in that city. It impacted many Christians' finances. Uh, It impacted negatively their small businesses. It had alienated them from family and friends, some friends of long standing. It had made them outcasts in their own communities. It had caused many of them to be scattered from Jerusalem, scattered from Judea into various other places. And so in those early years of the church in Jerusalem, in those first uh, 16 or 17 years, times were tough. And to make matters worse... In the years 46 and 47, a great famine swept across the Roman Empire. Now, not everybody across the vast empire was impacted equally, but famine hit believers in Jerusalem and in Judea particularly hard, and it was because of the persecution and other things they were already enduring. So when the famine came, it was just one more additional blow to all of them. And so their circumstances were difficult. Their circumstances, in some cases, were desperate. They were certainly trying in the extreme. Well, what happened? The church in Antioch of Syria heard about what was going on in Jerusalem and in Judea and decided to do something to help. The church in Antioch was, Antioch was a great metropolitan area of the day. The congregation was much wealthier then the congregation in Jerusalem, and the small churches scattered around in Judea. And many of the members in the Antioch church, there were a number of Jews, but there was also a significant number of Gentiles in the congregation as well. So here's what they decided to do. Acts chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. Here's what the text says. So the disciples, this is the believers, the members of the church in Antioch, if you read the context... So the members of the Antioch congregation determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul, of course, the one whom we know as the Apostle Paul. You notice their attitude. Their attitude was not, we're largely a Gentile church, the church in Jerusalem is largely Jewish. Uh, We've never met them. We, We don't know any of the folks there, except maybe some of the apostles, but we don't really know the members there. They live far away. These are difficult economic times for everybody, not just folks in Jerusalem and Judea, but for everybody. We could probably use the money for ourselves, come to think of it. But what does Paul say? Each one in the congregation, there was an offering that was taken, and each one gave in accordance with his ability. Each one gave in accordance with his resources. Each person gave in accordance with his income. And they did so because they understood, you know what, we're all believers together. Anyone who belongs to Christ is my brother and my sister in the faith. And so understanding that, they determined that they were going to joyfully help as best they could. And so the church in Antioch, in what is now right on the Turkey-Syria border on a modern map, it's right on the southern edge of Turkey, where Antioch, the great city, was located. They sent a generous gift to the church in Jerusalem, 300 miles to the south, which was quite a trip in those days. And you notice, in this great effort, who was central to it all? Well, Paul and Barnabas were central in this great fundraising effort to help the Christians in Jerusalem and Judea. Now, after that great event, just fast forward a handful of years to the mid-50s, the congregations in Jerusalem and Judea were still suffering. Yes, the famine had abated across the Roman world, thankfully, but persecution had not abated. Neither had suffering. There was still ostracism. There was still deep poverty. There was still great need in the Jerusalem church and the Christians in the area. And so Paul, using what the Antioch church had done a handful of years earlier as uh, as an inspiration, as a template, he decided he was going to spearhead a second fundraising project to raise money to, again, meet the severe needs for the Christians in Jerusalem and in Judea. But this time, rather than trying to raise funds just from one congregation, Paul made it his endeavor to raise funds from a whole range of Gentile churches, both in Asia and in Europe. And so Paul endeavored as he went to these various congregations, writing letters and so on, he urged that a great collection be taken for the mother church in Jerusalem and for the thousands of folks who were members there who were in great need. And so when you read through Paul's letters, he mentions his fundraising effort in his letter to the Galatians. All the churches in the province of Galatia, there is an appeal to them. You read the letter to the Romans, Paul again mentions this fundraising effort as he writes to the Romans. Uh, In Acts 24, he's in the middle of a court hearing, and as part of his deposition in Acts 24, he mentions the great offering that he was in the process of collecting. So there are references throughout the New Testament to this great fundraising endeavor, but the most significant references are in Paul's letters to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and particularly two chapters worth in 2 Corinthians. And so beginning with chapter 8 verse 1 and running all the way to the end of chapter 9, Paul urges the Corinthians to participate in this great endeavor. Now, before we read our text, I want to back up for a moment to 1 Corinthians so that we can read, eventually, our text in context of what Paul wrote about a year earlier when he wrote 1 Corinthians. So here's 1 Corinthians 16, when Paul brought up the subject, verses 1 through 4. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, this is this big fundraising effort for Jerusalem and Judea. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So here's the plan that all the other churches are using, and I'm I'm laying it out before you. Here's the approach. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. I don't want you to start the fundraising when I get off the boat in Corinth. I want you to have done it week in, week out, have it all stored up, have the check written ready to go so that when I come, it's all there in the congregation. And then Paul says, verse 3, when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And so this was laid out in 1 Corinthians about a year earlier. So the Corinthians had eagerly embraced this great project. They had started to collect funds, but it didn't take too long for the whole enterprise to come to a grinding halt. And why was that? The basic reason is there was opposition to Paul in the Corinthian congregation. The false apostles had showed up They had said, don't listen to Paul, he doesn't have the real gospel, we do. He's a false apostle, we're true apostles. Follow us, listen to us, don't follow this imposter, the one who calls himself the Apostle Paul. Well, the congregation in Corinth was divided. The congregation was confused. In addition to that, there were still some lingering moral issues left over from what we read in 1 Corinthians. And so in all of those circumstances of doubt and questioning and division and confusion and error, the collection for the saints in Jerusalem fell by the wayside. Well, what does Paul do? Well, he can't prioritize the collection Because there are far greater issues to address first. There are theological issues that need to be dealt with. There are moral issues that need to be dealt with. And so what Paul does is he sends a severe letter of reprimand to the congregation. It's a letter he wrote between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. 1st and 2nd Corinthians written a year apart. He wrote a letter now lost to history in between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And it was a stern letter, and in the eyes of some in the congregation, Paul's words were rather harsh and rather cutting. But he wrote a very stern, some would say very harsh letter to the Corinthians, and then he sent Titus as his emissary to go to Corinth and see how the letter was received and to see what could be done. Well, we read about this a little earlier in 2nd Corinthians, much to Paul's joy, both the letter... And Titus's visit, by the grace of God, had a positive outcome there in the congregation. There had been repentance. We focused on that a couple of weeks ago. There had been a spirit of reconciliation. Yes, Paul is the one through whom the true gospel came. He is our father in the faith. What in the world were we thinking of? We need to be reconciled to him. And so those things were taking place. And so because the congregation was back on the right path, Because hearts were changed, because a year earlier the Corinthians had been eager to start this project, Paul now brings up the whole matter of this offering a second time. And he says, in essence, I urge you to give as you originally promised you would. Now, with that in mind, we come to our text. It's found in the first six verses of chapter 8. It's actually one sentence. Paul liked to write really long sentences in the Greek text. Our English translators, at least the ESV, breaks it into three for a little bit easier reading. But it's one long sentence. And so I want you to notice Paul's opening sentence as he addresses this matter of giving, which he'll be addressing for two chapters. He says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. This is quite a sentence. And so where to begin? Perhaps the best place to start is by noticing the striking combination of words in these opening six verses. You notice in verse 1, at the very beginning, is the word grace. You notice in verse 2, Paul speaks about severe affliction, and then in the next breath, the abundance of joy. You notice also in verse 2, he speaks about extreme poverty, and he speaks about, in the next breath, the wealth of generosity. In verse 4, he speaks about giving beyond one's means. He speaks about pleading to be able to give in the offering. These are words and phrases nobody would ever put together in the same sentence. Severe affliction coupled with abundant joy. Extreme poverty coupled with great generosity. And by the way, who in their right mind ever begs to give in the offering? Have You ever met somebody like that? Please, pastor, can't we have another offering? There's so much I want to give. There's a lot in this text, a lot to unpack in these verses, but I want to start with just one simple point. There are many points I want to make from this paragraph, but just one this morning. And it's simply this, that God's grace, and you notice I've highlighted the word in the text, God's grace is always the foundation, the root, the inspiration, the fountainhead of all true Christian giving. And so it is not accidental that Paul begins these two chapters in verse 1 with the word grace. As Paul begins his description of the churches in Macedonia, churches which gave so generously as we shall see and so sacrificially, Paul roots all of it in grace. Notice the opening verse again. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Don't miss the powerful theology of this verse, this opening verse. Notice that there is a a, a generous giving that's taking place. But who is doing the giving? You notice Paul speaks about the grace of God that has been given. That's a passive grammatical construction. So who is the one who is doing the giving? Who is the actor in the sentence? Well, the answer is, it's God. And that grace which God has given is centered in Jesus Christ. It is centered in the work of the cross. It is centered in the it is finished of Calvary. It is centered in the He is risen of Easter. The work, the person and work of Christ, that's where grace is centered. And so that grace, what Jesus has done for us through the cross and the resurrection, that grace becomes ours through the Holy Spirit as he takes the word and brings faith into our hearts. And here's what you need to understand from this passage, is that when you've truly received that grace, when you've truly experienced it, that grace will revolutionize you from the inside out your whole outlook is changed your values are changed how you look at the world is changed how you go about your work is changed how you rear your family is changed How you regard others, how you interact with them, all of that is changed. And in the context of these two chapters, 8 and 9, how you view money and possessions is changed. And how you use your money and your possessions is changed. Now, the Macedonians were amazingly generous. That's a sermon for, I think, next week. We'll get to the, the generosity. Or maybe the week after. We'll see. But I want you to notice what Paul says to the Corinthians. As he mentions the Macedonians in this opening part of this chapter, Paul does not say to the Corinthians, look at the Macedonians per se and focus on what they've done. After all, it's quite an achievement. See if you can measure up to it. They're kind of the standard here. That's not really what Paul is saying. But Paul says, focus on and be amazed at God's grace which has been given to them. That's the focus. Focus on the amazing grace that God has poured out on the Macedonians. A grace, by the way, Paul says, has been poured out upon you as well, Corinthians. God has been gracious and abundant to you as well. And so like the Macedonians, here's where Paul is getting in this opening sentence. Like the Macedonians, let it be God's grace that stirs you, that motivates you that prompts you, Corinthians, to give with joyous generosity in this great project of raising money for the poor in Jerusalem. Let me say it again. Bible-centered giving. Giving of your time and your talents, your money, your resources is always rooted in grace. Bible-centered giving is never marked by, I guess I should. That's not grace-giving. Bible-centered giving is never motivated by law. You must. You have to. You better. You should. It's not something one is guilted into. It's not grudging. It's not reluctant. It doesn't come from pressure. It doesn't come from coercion. All of it springs from and is rooted in grace. God's grace revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And that's simply what grace is. It's God's lavish abundance in all things that are ours through Jesus Christ. Once that gets hold of you on the inside, that will stir giving in the heart of a believer. And so you notice how this note of grace sounds forth in this opening sentence, not just in verse 1, But you notice later on in the sentence, go down to verse 4, Paul speaks about the Macedonians and he says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, because he was there, and beyond their means, of their own accord, I didn't coerce them or pressure them to say we need a few more bucks in the plate here. They gave beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for, the word literally is grace, it's the same word as in verse 1, it's the same word as for by grace are you saved through faith, for the grace of taking part. You think of the offering as, this is a wonderful grace I can participate in. Paul thought of it that way. Begging us earnestly for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. And then you go down to verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you, Paul doesn't say this fundraising campaign, but what does he say? This act of grace. So, So this is what I want you to see as we're going to work our way through these two chapters. Christian giving is always rooted in, centered in, motivated by God's grace and by God's grace alone. If there are other motivations, it's not Christian giving. But Paul's not done with this matter of of grace. Verse 7, the verse just beyond our text. Paul says to the Corinthians, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Excel in the offering. Excel in the fundraising campaign. See that you excel in this act of grace, he calls it again, also. Go down to verse 9. For, and this is the root of it all. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? There's the motivation right there. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If you trace that word grace through chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, in one form or another, it shows up 10 times in two chapters. And so as Paul begins... These chapters on giving, on financial stewardship, on stewardship of our whole lives is really what he's getting at in these chapters. As Paul launches these next two chapters, Paul is pointing us to the fact of what happens when grace gets hold in a church. What happens in a congregation when the individuals in the congregation are utterly gripped by grace? you're not going to have to worry about volunteers for ministry when that happens. You're not going to have to worry about meeting the budget when that happens. When grace gets hold on the inside of the folks in a congregation, it will be utterly transformative. And so you see, when it comes to a congregation's annual budget, for example... When it comes to a special ministry project at home or abroad, we don't need bigger and better fundraising campaigns. What we need is a bigger picture of the God of grace. A true understanding of what God's grace is and an experience of it deeply for ourselves. Here's the bottom line this morning. When you are overwhelmed... By the immensity of God's grace to you, giving will take care of itself. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, uh, so oftentimes we try to find techniques to round people up to serve or volunteer or we need a little bit more for the budget or we need another $10,000 here or whatever it is. Nothing wrong with making needs known. Paul certainly did. But Lord, help us to understand that real giving doesn't take place unless the heart is engaged and motivated and stirred by grace. Lord, for each one of us, may that be what stirs us. That when it comes to our time, our talents, we don't just give a little teaspoonful here and there. Or when it comes to our funds, let's see what I might have left over, if anything. But that your grace would grab hold of us And that from grace, all good gifts would flow. Thank you that you are the one who came, Lord Jesus, and you became poor, absolutely poverty-stricken, so that we might be made rich. So then what does that mean then for me? Lord, help us to think about these things in these next weeks as we consider this whole matter of giving and stewardship and the engagement of our whole lives in ministry for you, to, to bring glory to your name in all things. Grant that each of us might be transformed in this whole area. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.